Passing Dimes is proud to welcome a new partner to the show, Momentum Pro Camps. Momentum Pro Camps runs volleyball camps across Ontario, bringing professional athletes, coaches, and resources to communities, clubs, and partners. Momentum's mission is to inspire and develop high performers for life, and they're doing just that. Unfortunately, because of the COVID-19 pandemic, Momentum has suspended all programming until permitted by local public health recommendations. However, they have developed incredible future programming for athletes to benefit from and are excited to share it with all of you when we can play again. Follow us on social media at Momentum Pro Camps for updates and details on future programs or email us at contact at MomentumProCamps.com. Stay excellent, friends. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Passing Dimes. You're in for a good one if this is the first episode that you're joining us. I'm really excited for today's guest. Looking at where we are, we're, we're two years into the show, and it was probably a little late to be calling this guest, but hey, we got her now. So today's guest is a U Sports national champion where she played at the University of Toronto. She's represented Canada on indoor and beach. So with the indoor national team, she's attended FISU Games and World Championships, and she's currently with the beach national team. Please welcome to the show, Anna Fiore. Anna, thanks for doing this. Oh, it's my pleasure, Josh. Happy to be here. I'm going to try not to skip over stuff because I feel like you and I have had a lot of good chats since you've joined the Beach National Team, but I want the listeners to really appreciate, you know, how far you've come in your career already. Oh, sweet. I mean, we have <laughs> great chats, Josh, so I'm down for another one. Well, hit us with the with the start. Uh, so you grew up in that Stratford area, but I'm sure listeners who recognize your name are like, you're a, a Forest City athlete. So how did you get into sport? And then how did you convince your parents to like commute and treat this club volleyball thing? Like it's a, a serious thing that they need to take you like to another city to play. That's a great question. Um, so I started my sort of athletic career, I'll say, um, when I was like, you know, pretty young, like third, nah below 13, probably around 10, 10 or 11. And I actually started in competitive dance. So I was doing that pretty, uh, pretty day in day out, thought that was going to be my direction. Um, but then I quickly hit a really, really big growth spurt when I was in like grade five, six. So I, um, unfortunately sort of looked like Shrek next to the girls I was dancing with. So (laughs) my mom was like, is this something you really want to do as my mom's a professional dancer herself? And knew the, knew the world and knew what I was in for. And I was like, you know what? I don't love it. So she threw me in some volleyball camps. I looked just like the other girls. So she was pleased. Um, I wasn't towering over anybody, which was amazing. Uh, then I started with the Stratford stingers. So sort of just played for fun and then got onto their competitive program when I was about 14, you know, had some laughs, played my couple of years of middle as everybody does. Um, and then I stopped growing quite quickly. So I was five, nine and grade seven and then stopped there. So that was too bad. Um, and that's when I realized I needed to actually get good at the sport. I couldn't just be big. So I hired on a personal coach, sort of my mom thought it was a good idea. And I, you know, was 16. So I was like, yep, absolutely. I'll do whatever you say. So we got a uh, Gabby Jobs. So at the time was the head coach of university of Waterloo. And so I would, I would go two times a week in my club season and in the off season getting individual training by her. Um, and she was smart. She said, uh, you got to be the best passer because if you're not the best passer, <laughs> you're, uh, you're not going anywhere. So I, uh, I started learning how to pass really well. Um, playing left side was my passion, still hitting. Um, and I was still with the Stratford Stingers at the time. And then I realized I wanted to get recruited by the time I was like 16. I, I knew this was a good club, but it wasn't my be all end all. I needed to take it just one step further. So I moved to the KW Predators actually. 
uh, before Forest City. Did a season there wearing the purple and white um, under the Pavins, so that was awesome. And then my team kind of was older than me, so I kind of grew out of that one a little bit um, and changed over to Forest City. Uh, to answer your question about my parents <laughs> uh, begging, um, but also my mom understood the world um, of competitive sport. Being a dancer, she moved away from home when she was young to, to be a ballerina. So she understood there was going to be some sacrifice. Luckily she was around to help me with that, which was amazing. Um, but I, uh, I'm very grateful for them because it was an hour, an hour and 10 minutes, three times a week, including having to sit there when we practiced and worked out all day. My mom never had a Sunday to herself in years. Um, and then I finally got a teammate in my second year from Stratford as well, Chelsea bought. Um, and she, we would split the, split the time, which was amazing. But yeah, if I'm a four city girl, I would say, I know I only did two years there, 17, 18 you, but it feels like the, feels like that's my home base. If that makes sense at all. Nice. And I'm glad you mentioned everything your mom did. And you mentioned your start in dance because, uh, again, people new to the show or just hearing your name probably recognize the last name. So it's interesting to hear you pick sport over like your, your parents are big shooters in the, in the art and entertainment world, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. My, my dad's an actor. My mom's um, a director choreographer who started as a dancer and actor. Um, yeah, obviously they've gone so far in their passion. And I think it was so important for me to see that they're self-employed. So they've both been sort of self-grinding for, for as long as I can remember. Um, it's all based on their hard work and what they choose to do and not do. They don't really have to answer to anyone. So I, I've always found that really inspiring that they chose to do all the work that they were doing. Um and my dad is a master of his craft. He's a Shakespearean actor and I would watch him sort of day in and day out be practicing his lines. And really, I think it established some good habits in myself and time management skills and how to, I mean, it worked wonders in my university degree of how to memorize things quickly and regurgitate information because it's basically what he does with a bit of flair and, and finesse. So that was interesting. And my mom, so athletic and, and so poised. So you know, I think I learned so much from her on that. And I think I got, a, you know, some good genes from her. Thank goodness. Sorry, dad. But yeah, it's mostly my mom giving me that. Um, the coordination is from from my mom. So awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought up Gabby as a personal coach and then giving credit to Preds and then going to Forest City because you mentioned the the goal early on to be a great passer because I think you have an amazing platform. So was that something that like Gabby just convinced you or when you were playing, you realized that like this was some part of the game that you could really contribute and really have an influence over because uh, I would imagine that platform stayed similar over the years. Obviously you keep improving, but like, were you always dialed in to be a good passer and be confident and take a lot of court and everything that goes into being like you were a left side at U of T and then playing libero with the national team and obviously playing on the beach. Like you're going to see a lot of passing reps. Uh, how soon did you kind of like dial it in that that was going to be your, your ticket to the next level? Good question. I think, um, in terms of finding out it's important, I mean, as a 15, 16 year old, all you want to do is get the cannon fired up and just be hitting, hitting all the time. And I wasn't a very good setter, um, working on it, Josh, but <laughs> it wasn't going to be that for me. Uh, it was, that was quite clear. Um, so passing, yeah, I think I loved it. I think was the, the biggest thing. And Gabby noticed that I had a pretty decent platform to begin with. I understood the concept of the physics of it. You know, it's just angles. It's simple angles. So I really enjoyed that part of it. Um, yeah, I think learning as I got older when I was 17, 18 and starting to play like Team Ontario, the taking up space 
became clutch for me. I think, I don't know about anybody else in the volleyball world, but I, I pass much better when I think I'm taking more space. So when I became a libero, I became a better passer because I knew this half this court is my space now. And I more, the more I saw open space, the better I passed, which is what I think I'm taking to, to the beach as well. Um, the more angles I can create better, the better I actually pass. I don't like feeling small and narrow. So, you know, when, when you make an error and you're like, Oh gosh, move over to the sideline. That isn't the same. That doesn't work for me. That mindset is I like open space to, to move and get my platform out. So yeah, I think it, the realization came when I was number one, not growing anymore, sadly, but I really loved it. And it was something that I was passionate about and something that I could get good at and it would benefit me in the long run. I think Gabby started that process of, you know, she was a university coach at the time and she knew where her weaknesses were on the team. And that's the level I wanted to do next, which was university for sure. Um, and so she said, we, this game needs good passers and that's why I wanted to continue. So I said, Hey, I'll do it. I'll do whatever you say. Just tell me and I'll do it. So, yeah. And then when did you start to either get attention from post-secondary coaches or did you start to like enter in those conversations? Was that around 17, 18 you? Like I know, some provinces are different, but here in Ontario, it feels like the conversations kind of start in 16U, 17U, an idea, and then obviously 18U is like the year most people commit. So I'm curious with you switching clubs and having the goal of playing a post-secondary, when did you really feel like you were looking at the next level and opening up those conversations? Yeah, uh, I think that the initial conversation happened with Gabby, um, who is a grad in Ohio. Um, and she said, you need to get on this if you want to be playing in the States, which I did because, you know, I thought that was cool and it was something that I wanted and it is cool. Um, so I, I sent myself off to a third party like recruiting agency, made all my videos, got some tentative offers from some state side schools. But I ultimately, my biggest priority when I was going through high school was my education. Um, so yes, I wanted to play volleyball, but I really wanted an undergraduate degree. Um, and my parents really stressed that it should be in something I'm passionate about. And that for me was science. And a lot of those stateside schools weren't necessarily excellent programs for what I was interested in. They had other things that were awesome, but not the stuff that I was interested in. So I changed my focus around 16, 17 U like later in the season, 17 U to Ontario schools. I'm also quite, I mean, I'm a self-proclaimed homebody, but I, I love my parents and I love my family and they were all here and there was no um, no indication of them leaving in this area. So like you said, I'm from Stratford. So I kind of looked in the area of like, I mean, Gabby was coaching at Waterloo at the time. So that was too close to home. And I had Melissa Bartlett as um, an HPC coach, a team Ontario coach. So that was Western close by to me, bit too close. And then sort of Toronto came on my radar. Ooh, like 17U, late 17U. Um, as, and I was, sort of a, I don't want to say underrated left side hitter, but I was, I was flying under the radar for sure. I was not a, a big deal quite yet. Not that I'm a big deal now, but <laughs> they came up to me at a tournament and said like, Hey, if you're interested, contact Christine. It was tiny Lee actually, who was um, now an assistant at Ryerson. Um, he came and said, you need to contact Christine. She'll, she'll be interested in, in your style of play. And I was like, well, I don't have a style of play. Like, what is that? So that was interesting. I contacted Christine and we got the ball rolling a little bit there. I had, I had meetings with other coaches and great programs across Ontario, Mac and um, Queens were interesting to me as well. But 
um, I really only toured U of T and that's a, fu- that's a funny story too. My, my poor parents, I went on one trip to U of T in November of my grade 12 year after having, I think one phone call with Christine, I showed up at, for my recruiting trip. I met like three girls and then I like got into Christine's office and she says, do you, what do you think? How's the fit? Do you like the campus? Like, should we start a conversation about this? And I said, do you have a pen? She was like, Oh yeah. I said, well, I'm good to go. I'm good to sign now. She was like, Oh, 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 uh, let me, let me print out the papers then. And so I signed on spot because it just felt right. If that makes sense. My soul just felt it was so cheesy, but my soul felt at home and on the campus. I went to some lectures with the girls. The girls were so fantastic. It was just wonderful women doing amazing things and Oh, I was just so sold. Oh my goodness. <laughs> no, that's awesome. <laughs> Thanks for sharing that one. And I, I actually miss this in your bio. Yeah. You coming from four city, you mentioned you were a provincial team athlete. I think you were even an 18 U all-star with the OVA. Cause that award was, was still newer at the time, but I, I believe you were one of the ones who earned that as well. But with the provincial team, I'm thinking back, that might've been my first year as an assistant. I got to work with Corinne Williams, who was awesome. I learned so much that summer, but, um, mm. Between the two teams, wasn't there like five or six or maybe even seven four city girls? I'm trying to think like we had Daniel Bentley on our squad and Megan Morelli. And did you not have Shella Duray yeah, setting, had, Logan playing? Yeah, we had Michelle Chelladurai, um, myself, Danielle Bentley, Logan Potter. And then I think we still had Lauren Sanderson. That I sounds think. right. And was or Katie the other yeah. setter even? I think you guys had two really good setters, Michelle. And was Katie the other girl? I think she went oh, to Ryerson. Yeah, Katie. Yep. Yep. Wow. The representation. Yeah. Like what were club practices like where it, did, did it just feel like everybody on the squad was going to go play college or university afterwards? You know what? Yeah, that's crazy. Actually. Um, my, so a couple of those girls are actually been, uh, one year younger than me, but we, so for like Lauren Sanderson, Logan Potter and Logan Potter and I had this hilarious thing. People couldn't tell us apart for like three years in our club career, but, um, <laughs> because we played exactly the same with our long hair, ponytail shorts hiked up and it was just ridiculous. But we, uh, we all had this plan of going to play at a high level. Like all of us were talking about schools come November of like our grade 12 season. A lot of us ended up going, I think almost half of our squad ended up playing at least one year after university, but our training sessions were so good. Like I have nothing but good things to say about Forest City as a club, I had a coach named Vaughn Peckham. I'm not sure if you know who that is. His name's come up quite a bit on the show. We got to track him down. Vaughn. Oh, I hope he's doing wonderfully. He is. He was my first exposure to a, a tough, but productive coach. And I mean, I've had coaches that were shouters, you know, yellers that wanted to get their point across, but it just wasn't resonating with me, but he was, tough but effective and productive and I, I learned so much in my time at Forest City and I, I actually I really got a lot better which is amazing um and playing at a high level with girls that are better I think too um was challenging for me but worth my time because again I was commuting an hour and a bit so it was worth the commitment every second of it yeah, I was wondering if you could give us an example there. We just had uh, on Sharp Cuts, we had Natasha Spalling and Becky Pavin join Garrett and I, and we had the conversation that people like to treat the men's game and the women's game different when they're really not that different. And to hear you as, as a high-level female athlete enjoy like a tough environment, like in your opinion, would you agree with Tasha's comment where 
I don't think women mind being yelled at, but it needs to be something I can use. Like if you're just going to shout and scream, like that's not productive. But if you're going to shout and give me information I can use, well, then I'm going to get better as an athlete. Like, was that your experience or what would you like give an example of what a tough, productive environment was in club? Yeah, I think, well, yeah, that I do agree with her that, I mean, women want lots of things and every individual is different. That doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman, but I think, what works for me and an example from him was the, the yelling and the, you know, the screaming was for me a bit of a, um, it was a lack of information. So I wasn't getting what I needed from a coach. Whereas Vaughn Peckham would come up to me silently after I made, you know, let's say three, three errors in a row. And he would say, what can you change? don't you want to be better for yourself? Like what do you want to be making these errors? Do you want to do this for your team? And so it kind of hit where it hurt, if that makes sense. Like not, um, Oh my gosh, you're terrible. Blah, 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 blah. Get out of my gym style. But shouldn't you hold yourself to a higher standard? And that felt ouch, you know, that's yikes. That one burns. But in the long run of, okay, that was a tough conversation, but that is going to make me so much better. And I could see that even when I was a kid, so when I was getting screamed at at other, you know, other practice, other clubs or whatever, I just thought, what is, what is the goal here? What's the end goal? What's he trying to get out of me? What's she trying to get out of me? And it, and it wasn't, it never ended up where I wanted it to be. But when I was spoken to like a, a real adult and, and reasoned with, I think that was the most productive for me as an athlete. Um, and still is, it's still the best way to get results out of me. I know some people love getting screamed at, um, for me, it's just not, it's not it. But I, I respect the people that do. Cause you know, you got to get it done. <laughs> and were you aware of UP style it. and uh, Christine style in terms of what it was like? Cause it sounded like you went on campus and you fell in love, but did you speak to any athletes or when you were following these, the, the, the soon to be teammates to lectures, were you asking them questions about what practice was like or what coach was like, or did you walk into that first tryout or the first uh, preseason meeting and be like, this is, this is what you're in for. You know, that's a good question. I practiced actually. So this is before it was not allowed anymore. So uh, that's how old I am. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Um, We were actually allowed to enter a training session. So I played a little bit with the girls in, (laughs) this is funny. Actually, I played a bit with the girls in the old sports gym. I don't know if you've been to the the AC at U of T, but it was like this kind of dingy upper gym area. And I I couldn't believe that I just loved it so much. It like smelled bad. It was like dark. And I was in love. I was obsessed with the plays. And um, we did a drill where I was only able, I was only in the back row. So I I went from one to six to five and it was back row continuous. So we're we're talking like a warm up game. And when I tell you I was in cardiac arrest, I got to the other side, had to sit down on the bench like I'd never experienced that level of rally and that level of play. And I was just like, I need to do this more. Number one, for my own physical health, I need to be doing this more. But I loved the intensity and the energy that the entire squad brought. I think obviously it's all directed at Christine and it's all, you know, controlled. The environment is controlled by Christine, but she she demands a high level. And I think that was critical. And I, I noticed that from the first second I stepped on the court with everybody. Um, and then the next thing was, you know, we got the gold ring center the year I came in, which was fantastic. So I was in this, this space, this, you know, I got, we're going to call it the secondary gym now, which is the AC. And I was in awe of the space 
And then Christine said to me, well, you know, next year you'll be playing your first games in the Goldring Center. And I was like, I don't know what that is, but I love the idea. Uh, and then I saw this mock-up of it. It was under construction at the time. And I like my jaw just hit the floor. I was like, I cannot say no to this. There's no way. So that was a huge, huge trade, like a huge impact on my decision too. Cause you know, everyone wants to be in that massive gym. And, and obviously, um, Christine deserves a lot of credit. Cause like you said, it is her culture, her program. Like they've been successful mm-hmm. for, it feels like every year she's there. But when you stepped in as a first year, just name drop a few, like who were the vets? I'm trying to think was like Charlotte, yeah. an upperclassman or Jen Nielsen. Like who would have been some yeah. of the vets your first year? Yeah, so I had uh, I had the most amazing senior class. It was uh, just a couple names. Uh, Jen Nielsen was a senior. Charlotte Sider, you're right. Uh, Denise Wooding. Um, I had Boyana Raden, who was um, a real heavy hitter um, now off in med school. Same with Denise Wooding. Uh, Angie Bellhamir, so also a Forest City grad. Um, and Maddie Mandrick, a setter. So I had a fantastic group of fourth, fifth year athletes that were leading in the pack sort of, and they were the ones again, like coming down top down from Christine setting the environment, but they were setting a standard and not just a standard of, okay, we're going to be the best, but we are going to expect the best every single day. When we come to practice, I remember there was, um, you know, as you age, you know, decisions get tougher as, as you're a captain. So they had a couple older captains and, I do remember a specific moment, um, and I've used this in coaching as a, now as I'm entering the coaching world, and the Christine said it, and she said, we're not getting any better in this practice. We're not, we are not plateauing. There's no such thing as staying the same. So either we're going to get better today or we're going to get worse. And right now it looks like we're getting worse. So should we just call practice? And obviously every time she asked us that, we got our head out of our, you know, you know where, and... <laughs> and snapped out of it and got back into the drill. And sometimes I would just like look to the seniors and be like, I don't know, like I'll just go low. I'm, I'm new here. You guys decide. And every time they would decide, okay, we're going to get back into it. Let's focus guys. Let's improve our communication, whatever. And then one day it was really bad, Josh, like really, really bad. Um, no one was, no one was firing. And, uh, they looked around at all of us, you know, it was midterm season and they just went, no, we're going to, we're going to finish practice now. And we were like 30 minutes and it was, I hadn't even broken a sweat yet. And they were like, Nope, we're going to finish because we we're going to make a call here. And I was like, that is some serious adulting and some a decision I would have literally never made to, you know, a new coach and as a 17 year old coming in, but they made a really tough call. And I was like, wow, that's what leadership looks like. Like taking, taking one for the team and and assessing the situation and making a tough call. And I was like, wow, these women just in awe of these women and just so wonderful to, to be able to play next to them. Now they're off doing their own thing. Jen Nielsen's coaching an opposing squad now. So that's huge. Charlotte Sider's on the team, uh, the assistant coaching team at UFT now. So everyone kind of stayed with it, which is so exciting. Yeah. That's such an interesting story just with, the the autonomy and the leadership given there because i think as, as a coach sometimes you just pop off and you say stuff trying to push buttons but for them to treat it like they had the autonomy and it wasn't just a choice it wasn't like you were letting down coach and this was just like like you said to snap out of it it was like no we we honestly are going to take the option here so i think that's a, a credit to everybody mm-hmm. involved because obviously if christine's going to give the option she can't get mad when you take it right and i think that no, that's the challenge the, yeah i think christine that, i mean i think it's a great 
question to ask a team because she's right. You're not, you're never staying the same. You're either going to get worse or you're going to get better. There's no such thing as plateauing in a practice, especially when there's a massive squad, I think. Um, but yeah, Christine would consistently ask, you know, like, is, are we getting better now? And what can we, the, the most important thing was what can we do to make it one step better? So let's say we rated, we rated that practice of five out of 10. So we're not looking great. What's one thing we can do to make it a 5.5? How can we make it the six? And so I became really focused on the next steps. Um, when Christine would give us options like that, it's like, okay, we're going to continue practice, but what are we going to do now? What's our step to making this better? Cause otherwise we're just going to stay the same. And I really, that really resonated with me and it still resonates with me to this day, especially on the beach too. And what was it like that year? Like, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like the first year Gold Ring Open, was that the year you guys hosted U Sports? Oh, yeah. So yeah, what's... we hosted. Uh, that was insane. What a whirlwind. Yeah, that was 2015. We hosted. Um, yeah, we but we had, we had had a perfect season. So we headed into that that championship or a near perfect season, I suppose, 18-1, and losing our senior night game. Tragedy. But um we headed into that, the favorite. And that was a wild experience because we won our quarterfinal really nice and easy. And then we headed into our semifinal and we just let our foot off the gas and it wasn't anything anyone can really put their foot on. And, you know, it was a a tough agonizing loss for us. Um, both of them, because I think we got, we got four, we lost hard to Montreal in the bronze because again, we'd left it all we emptied our tank and we did not refill it after the heartbreaking semifinal loss. So that was a huge turnaround to the next season, which my heart breaks for the girls that work so hard in the fifth years of Charlotte Siders and Jen Nielsen, because they are the foundation that we built our, our next season on, if that makes sense. And they were the, the legacy. I mean, everybody, once you, when someone wins a, a U sports, the entire program wins it, I think in my mind because it's a, they left behind a legacy that we've just followed through with. Um, but the next year we went to Brandon, Manitoba, a well-oiled machine. And that was an experience. Like I've never, I've never experienced anything like that. That was a, an in and out sort of, we're here to do a job. It was professional. We got in, we cleaned up and we left after some, some nail biting games, but the, the foot was on the gas the entire time. The lesson had been learned, let's say as heartbreaking as it was in 2015. Yeah. Like as a, a big sports fan, you see it all the time in professional sports where somebody will get to the conference finals or the finals and they'll lose a heartbreaker. And, and sure enough, the next year they'll, they'll finish the job and they'll win. Like I think it's pretty rare for a team to come out of nowhere and actually win a championship. There has to be some disruption or a little bit of heartbreak there. I think for most teams to, to get it done at the professional level at least. But uh, I'm curious that first year, as you mentioned, you guys ran the table and had a great season, but how did it feel like, did coach ever say like your, your goal was at nationals because you, you guys could tell like you were going to be in a national quarterfinal before the season even started. So was there a mood about like, Oh, we're going to be there. Or was there a mood about like, we need to earn it every single day and we're going to go for it. Like, it, was there ever a sense of like entitlement that you're like, we, we already know we're there. So why do we care about this double header on an OUA weekend? Or was everybody dialed in that you needed to, you know, we're going to be playing in front of family and friends at home and we really need to earn this chance of having home court advantage at nationals. Mm-hmm. I think, um, even just hearing you say all that made me like cringe a bit. Cause no, we were never having that mindset because Christine made it very clear. And you know, this came top down from the seniors as well. We work for every single point. 
And because when you, when you look too far in advance and you put your head up and, and cross the finish line, someone's passing you. You know, we, we used to watch a, um, a clip every, almost every other pregame. Uh, Christine would do a PowerPoint in our golden team room. And it was, uh, and I think about it all the time, it was a runner who, who was winning a race and then, you know, put his hands up in celebration and someone just deeped underneath him and crossed the finish line first. So I think from, you know, on a 17, first, first game we played, our next, our mission was finish this game. We beat this team. Next one, we beat the next team. We we have lofty goals. You know, of course, you set them at the beginning of the season. We want to be national champions. We want to be OUA champions. But again, like I said, even with the practice things, like what's our next step? So what's our breakdown? What's our our goal this weekend is to beat Queens and RMC. And next weekend, we're going to go, we're going to travel, we're going to beat Trent. Like it was a step-by-step process and never looking too far forward because it didn't help us. So yeah, I would say we we earned we earned a lot of it just by you know putting our heads down and chipping away step by step. And did did the mood change next year? Because obviously, like you said, losing the vets you do, um, and then you were still quite young and had a big part at nationals. Uh, Tessa and Kaylee were obviously big parts. Like the the team did change, but uh, was Alina I think a first year on the team that won a nationals? Like. <laughs> So the, the, the dynamic had yeah. changed almost completely, right? But obviously the people who were there the year before still had that bad taste in your mouth. So how did it feel going into the next season? Was it was it similar goal setting, similar lead in, or did it honestly feel different because you had been so close and then let it slip away? I think um, we had, so the, the seniors that remained were Denise Wooding and Buena Raden, and they were, um, they had, they had signed on to masters just to play another year and not just to play another year, but you know what I mean? They, they wanted to play that fifth year and win. Um, so they made it work with their hectic schedules just to do this because they knew this team was going to have something, you know, something a little bit extra than last season and, and that we had the pieces and Alina came in. Um, oh, bless, bless Alina. She was a little baby. And I can't believe that it's been, like been nearly six years since I first met her hilarious um but she was silent and deadly like it was we were like yeah that's that's gonna win us lots of games lots and lots of games she had an arm on her she had a massive vertical great serve so we were lucky to get her and I was starting I was in my second year and and Kaylee Crookshank was on the left side as uh as my cross person uh, or the other left side and she was really turning it on like she really came into her own too and then and really bust out of her shell and she carried the team at national she absolutely carried the squad and tessa was a freak athlete absolutely unreal and boyana Raden, who had lost the previous season just came out all cylinders firing hot uh, and wanted it so bad she was our i'm gonna call her like our passion leader like our um how do i say like motivator um, but we had some leaders on the side that were a little bit more quiet and reserved, but they were doing just as much for us. So we had all the pieces to, to go and succeed, but we again needed to chip away at, at preseason games. We needed to find our rhythm, find our style. Um, UFT style was, you know, a bit, a bit slower than out West. We play a bit of a higher game. We have really, really solid first contact. So our passing game, we are passing in system upwards of like 75, 80% of the time. And that was our goal. And our, our goals shifted as we got more stable as a team. And 
if we could run middle almost every single ball, then we were unstoppable because Tessa and, and Boyana were so solid. Um, so yeah, we had all the pieces going in. And then when we got to national championships, it felt like we'd been there before. And so it's the same, what we were saying, like it goes back years and years, you know, these girls had been to youth sports before in their first second years as well. So it's, it's the accumulation of, of feeling that stress or feeling that, that, that nerve driven sort of fire, but then, you know, just acknowledging that we've been here we've, we've played gold medal matches. We've worked every single day to be prepared for a gold medal match. Actually on, in our first and second year, we did Jersey, Jersey Thursdays. So we would play our gold medal match every Thursday inter-squad. So we were so beyond prepared, Josh, to be there. But when we got there, we, we looked at each other we're like, you know what? We've had at least 20 gold medal matches this season. We're fine. And we did. And we went in, we played it like a practice. Nothing was different. It was the most bizarre feeling I've ever felt. <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned that. Cause yeah, Jersey Friday with the uh, men's group with the beach national team isn't as, isn't as serious as dialed in. It's a little bit more show off what you're able to find on the internet about is your favorite Jersey, but it sounds like yours was a more of a rehearsal of what was in store. Maybe we'll have to tighten ours up. Cause uh, yeah. If I, if I hear one more thing about Jersey Fridays, Josh, those are <laughs> just cheaply made pieces of cotton. If you're going to do a Jersey Friday, make it actually meaningful. I'm so it, disappointed. It's a good way to get through the week, but anyways, back to you. It um, Friend of the show, Jeff Miller, started an amazing golf brand called Club Jason. Designed with quality in mind, Jason sets no limits on comfort, feel, and appeal. They are devoted to growing the game of golf and creating opportunities for those who could benefit greatly from a little extra support. 10% of all sales will go to a Club Jason scholarship for a female golfer. An additional 10% of all sales will go towards junior golf programs in Ontario. Club Jason wanted to pass on some savings to you, official friend of the show. Use promo code DIMES, that's D-I-M-E-S, at checkout to receive 15% off your order. Jason also offers free shipping in North America on any order over $99. Visit clubjason.com, that's C-L-U-B-J-S-O-N.com, to check out their amazing clothing and to learn more. Jason, join the club. I was lucky enough to coach a club team with Kaylee Cruikshank. And one thing that I thought was cool with me being a bit of a stats geek was she mentioned Christine deserves a lot of credit and it's her culture, her program. But Vincenzo actually had a pretty big influence on the program. And Kaylee felt this because when you guys would keep score or you do competitive cauldron, like Kaylee Cruikshank is the type of player where she might not hit a big ball or she might not like serve a bunch of aces. Actually, her serve is actually pretty wicked and got a lot better, but uh, she's not going to be like a gym stopper type player, but gosh darn it. She just wins a lot. And she felt like when Vincenzo was starting to stat practice or really look at the, the data of picking the lineup, she felt like she got the green light to really go for it where maybe she didn't feel like she was a starter on that team, but it, it kind of got confirmed as the season went on. So uh, I'm curious how you've team managed that and how, if you ever felt that with some of the, the data-driven decisions that Vincenzo was helping give Christine about, you know, who's going to be our starting lineup? What are we looking for? Because, yeah, with her, you, and Denise passing, that, that's pretty awesome and having the middles you did. But it, it just sounds like with, with the data-driven stuff that things were competitive and people knew where they stood really, really quickly. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, it's it's Vincenzo is a huge part of U of T's program 
he is, so he runs data volley, um, which I can't even begin to comprehend. All I'm sent is the link of my highlights and lowlights, but his ability to uh, point out tendencies and clip together your strengths was I thought huge because acknowledging strengths is number one, one of the most important things in sport because we get so focused on all the stuff we're doing wrong. That's consistent development, but to point out strengths is wonderful. And he really helped me, um, with my concept of hitting off the block and using the block because it's very Italian, the style of play to use the block and not necessarily go for the big straight, straight kill. Um, I don't jump very high, but I'm quite, smart and quite tactical. So he was a huge player in, in developing that side of my game of how effective using the block actually can be. Um, and in terms of numbers, I mean, it's just an, an amazing asset to have that stat. We, we could stat practices. We were statting every single game. So when it came down to it, like your left side, you're going to want someone that's passing 65% compared to 33%. And I was that person that was passing a little better. Maybe my offense wasn't as solid at every single off opportunity I got, but I was creating opportunities for the team. And that's what solidified my spot on the roster, um, the starting lineup, because I was able to, to create opportunities for the squad. And then when I got my chance, I had moments of execution um, up in the net. And that obviously progressed as I got older. But uh, definitely on that national championship team, Kaylee was a beast. I don't know what she's talking about solidifying her position. She was an animal. <laughs> um, but for us, the back row passing, a lot of it had to do with, you know, are, are we in system and are you providing us the opportunity to, to run every option? And at that time I was, so that was awesome. I worked really hard to do that. And so did Kaylee. We had passing practice two times a week, um, additionally onto our, our regular squad hours. So yeah, I think having Vincenzo as a as a data analyst was unbelievable. And I had him from the, from day one when I first got here. He was, it was also his first year, so we have a great relationship, him and I. Um, especially when it comes to my continual development, we are always finding ways to get to get me passing better, to get me more solid. Um, we've had some great laughs and in the, in the, lots of good video review for sure. So uh, he's a huge asset. And, and to just kind of wrap this up about your U of T career. So going into nationals, mm-hmm. you mentioned like it, it's a business trip, but like mm-hmm. what's it like going into a quarterfinal? Cause you guys played McGill and I, and I looked it up before the show here and they had, I think Miriam Robitaille was one of their best players. I think Catherine oh, yeah. Amoy was really solid that year. I think like they had a, a good team and I think they actually won the first set. So here you guys are, you know, building towards this and you're going to treat it like a business trip. And then I think you, Obviously, it was close, but I think it was like 18, right? So you, you go into this tough okay. match and you drop the first set and you come back to win it in five. Like, what's the mood? Is there any panic in that first side change where you're kind of like, oh, like, here we go again? Or did you guys just feel prepared and knew that you're going to be in for one? Um, yeah, that's a, a loaded question because obviously, you know, we came out undefeated uh, out of this entire season and, and headed into nationals with what we thought was an excellent draw. Um, you know, uh, McGill had, we hadn't heard much about them. We beat them in preseason, um, <clears throat> hadn't really heard rumblings of, you know, them getting much better. turns out they did. Um, and they came out really, really, really hot. Uh, and we did not. So we, we had a phrase of that we used often, which was just stay the course. So that if we continue to do exactly what we do every day in practice, eventually it's going to work out for us. Um, and especially when we were on the road, that was our, our big thing, which was stay the course, stay the course, stay the course and losing in a first set. I mean, luckily in volleyball, you get to start back at zero. So 
set one, I blacked out for it. Can't, can't tell you much about that one, (laughs) but I do remember, um, set four, which was, we were down to two, one and we needed to win set four. Um, obviously pressure high, obviously, you know, some of the girls had experience on the court, other girls like me and Alina, not so much, uh, a little bit stressful there. Uh, a lot of pressure on Alina too, for, you know, her, it being her first year, but one of our top point scorers. Uh, and then we had this crazy moment. It, we were down 23, 19 in the fourth to like, we had to win it. And Tessa Davis went back to serve and she bodied them. Like she aced, she aced twice, then she got two digs. It was a peak moment in my mind. I was like, wow, that is incredible. Um, and we just, we worked as a machine. It was dig, set, kill, dig, set, continue. And we continued on and we stayed the course and we won that one 25 or 26, 24. So we got straight, like straight points to the end. So that was honestly one of the most memorable moments in my mind. And then we went on to, you know, flip the sides and we played that, that fifth set and I remember we were up we were up 10 to 6 or something it was a decent chunk we're like all right we've now we're back we've found our groove whatever and we so we started smiling and laughing and we sat down and I remember Vincenzo looking at us he goes you have won nothing yet <laughs> nothing and we were like oh shit yeah no you're right <laughs> like we need to really focus here. And that's when we stayed the course and we got back to business. And like you said, it is a business trip. We were professionals. We showed up and we played, we found the joy, but we played the same game we've been playing for days and days and days this past year. So I think we really, we did, it was a, it was a nice, how do I say like an accumulation of all the great things we've worked on, but just like, I'm not saying homage to, but like we really took into account how much we'd worked And it came together at the right time and tough moments challenged us. A a good team challenged us, but we stayed the course. So that was a really exciting game. And then from there, I I truthfully barely remember a moment from our UBCO semifinal. Don't remember anything from it because I remember I got, (laughs) that's actually funny. um, First six points of the UBCO semifinal, Brianna Beamish blew us up absolutely blew us up six points in a row by her alone. Some people taking balls off the chest, some people off the throat. Like it was hilarious. And I was like, Oh no, we made it out of a tough one, but this is it ladies. Like the West has taken over. Um, and we just stayed the course and we, we chipped away and we did our thing. It was nothing fancy. We had good passing, really consistent setting from our setter Maddie. And we, we completed our, our task and we, and we finished it. And same with the Trinity Western final. It was like a machine had showed up. We get in, we play, we pass well, we serve well, boom, done. And it was a, it was a well-oiled machine. So that was really nice to see that our training had paid off and our, our ability to handle tough moments had been trained through practice and, and through our regular season games. So. And is there any talk within a team from the OUA about how good the West is? Like, did you guys feel like you earned a lot of credibility for everybody back home? Because it feels like, you know, Ontario ha- up to that point hasn't done very well at, at either genders nationals. Like, I don't think the men have won in a while. And for you guys to win that year, and then it feels like a few years later, like Ryerson wins and all of a sudden people are competitive again. But there was a drought for a long time. So is there any talks or whispers around that between a top OUA team that's just like, yeah, we're good here, but but the West, oh, you should see out West because 
looking at, at that uh, Trinity team, I think they were defending champions. They won the year at U of T and they had uh, Nikki Cronwall and Sophie Capranche and I think a very young Brie O'Reilly, now Brie King. Like there was solid, mm-hmm. solid players on that Trinity team and he took care of it. So I'm just curious, like when you're playing against the Canada West team, was there any like, oh, we're in for one or there's intimidation or they're good because they play Can West or, or what is the mood coming from the OUA to Nationals? I think... Um... I think that our perception of the West is is mostly the, the problem being is that we're geographically unable to play them often. So it was sort of this because I hadn't gone out to, to BC in, in a while and I'd played, you know, I did NTCC is with uh, Team Ontario, but I hadn't played girls, the style of play out in the West uh, in quite some time. So I guess, yeah, it was an unknown, not so much a fear, but an unknown and Again, like I said, U of T's style of play, we ran a little bit slower. We were a strong defensive team, but we were relatively methodical about the way we played. Um, whereas Can West, very fast-paced, a lot of shoot sets, a lot of fast-paced middle stuff, passing a bit lower, um, really fast-paced serve. So I think um, we had to handle our own side. It was all about our own management of our system. And our system would work if we just committed to it. And that was our, our consistent belief throughout the, the championships was it doesn't matter the team we play. It doesn't matter if we're playing the RSEQ girls or if we're playing, you know, uh, UBC, which had the dynasty for years. I remember the Kyla Ritchie era, which they won, what, five straight, which was ridiculous. Um, tough not to crack that one. But I think we had this perception of, you know, they, they run a different style than us. It's not something we can't handle, but they run a slightly different set. I know Nikki Cornwall was running a very fast offense. And, you know, when I met up with her later, you know, as we became friends, she was like, yeah, you guys were slow. Um, <laughs> and we were, and we, we did, we were, but we were proud of it. We ran a clean high ball offense. Our shoot set was, you know, a, a mid-sized, mid-range sort of set. We didn't run a lot of trick plays. Like, we were clean and we were technical but we, we didn't have to be fancy to run our system. Um, and if that looks slow, then so be it. But it wins games. So <laughs> we kind of just stayed the course with that. But no, I don't think I don't think it's uh, it's not a lot of fear. Not so much. Not from girls that I know. I mean, just a different style, I think. Nice. And then not to like fast forward through the rest of your UT mm-hmm. stuff, but I'm curious mm-hmm. with with your success <laughs> over your, your career. Did that give you some confidence or some credibility in your mind that when you went to a national team tryout that you could hang with these other athletes? Because obviously the success you were having, but when you go to that first tryout, like how many other athletes are in the gym? Are you looking around me like, oh, that's so-and-so and that's so-and-so? Like, do you know the coaches are around evaluating? Like, what's just the general mood the first time you go to a national team tryout? Oh, geez, you're dating me back to That was like my first one was five years ago, I guess. And at that time, Lupo was the coach. So I went to one that was in uh, Manitoba. Um, and at that point it was people like Rachel Cockrell, heavy hitters and, um, Nikki Slickbower would, would have been that age. Like, I'm not sure if she actually went, but it's that age group. So it'd be like three years, four years older than me. Um, and, Oh, uh, Autumn Bailey was there and I was just in awe of her. It was just, um, it was hilarious to feel that I was so out of my league, um, but that I was, I was willing to, you know, just get my, my butt handed to me a couple of times to, to learn that I could be here, but I have some steps to take. So I was undersized. Actually, my first year I signed in as a left side 
quickly was moved to libero, you know, obviously <laughs> for obvious reasons after we did our vertex testing. And then, um, I did well, like I, I was my first time ever actually playing the barrel. I didn't know what an auto system set was. Um, and so that was a tough, tough space to be learning in, but I think I chose to take it as a learning opportunity. And there was, it was very clear. I wasn't going to make the squad the first, um, the first time I went. So took it as a learning opportunity, um, met some great people, met some competitors, which was awesome. You know, I mean, I met lots of friends that first year that I thought I wouldn't like because I, you know, they beat me once or twice, you know, that very juvenile mindset, but I think eventually, so I went back the next year, um, and luckily Christine was in support of me going back a couple times. So, and after my third attempt, you know, and if you try, if you fail, try, try again, you know, third attempt. And I went back and, and Mar- Marcello Abondanza saw something in me, um, which I assume was the Italian style of play because Vincenzo had been coaching me for the past four years, um, that he quite liked in my style of passing. So you know, it took me three seasons to, to get there and to take all my learning opportunities of being around these heavy hitters and, and just the size of the girls was different. It was, it was wild to see six foot three girls that were more athletic than me. Um, eye opening experience that one. And then our first year, actually, this is funny. We had to do physical testing and I got partnered with Shina Joseph for my counting of the push-ups. And she was counting my tricep push-ups, and I was counting hers. And we had to do 30 tricep push-ups in two minutes. And uh, I know you're not going to ask me, but uh, the answer is, I uh, know I can't do one. <laughs> so uh, she was counting mine, and she was she did military training when she was a kid. So she whipped up 30 in you know 45 seconds, and then it was my turn to go, and she just went one ish. <laughs> two well 10 yep good 15 yep and 30 good job and I hadn't moved my arms yet like I, I couldn't even go down to the ground to back up but you know thank god for Shina because I passed that test don't tell them I cheated on that um but that didn't that didn't work out for me uh the physical testing was probably you know one of the hardest things I've done in a, in a long time um with 200 double under skips in five minutes which again, ask me how many of those I can do, Josh. Um, the Japan test, which was a, a shuffling test, which was, oh, I can't even go there, PTSD. Um, so I was very much out of my league that first time around, but I prepared, I challenged myself, and then, you know, much to my disappointment, I practiced those those tricep push-ups and those double-unders to get there the next year, and they had taken them off. And I was like, <laughs> you... I'm, I was so mad. I was ready to show off at least that I could do a hundred double unders, but no, no, they took it off for something even more fun, but it was a, uh, it was a learning experience. That's my answer. That's what it was like. A very big learning experience. So that's cool that, that China was, was involved in that. Like, I'm curious with like Kyla or Jen Cross or some of the vets or even like Autumn Bailey, like, are they dialed in or is there still like a sense of team? Cause I always wonder how like elite athletes manage that where yes, it's a tryout and we're trying to make the squad and like, you got to put yourself first, but is there like a sense of inclusiveness or when you said like you're learning stuff on the fly, is somebody helping you out as you go? Or did you feel like you were on an Island just because it's an intense tryout and obviously everybody has to take care of their goals first? Oh, that's a good question. I think, of course, there's a sense of camaraderie because it's out of your hands, the decision-making process. You can do everything you need to do and you still may not make it. So 
I think, especially with the Kyla age group, um, Jen Cross, Lucy Shrew, and you know, it's a tough, it's a tough environment to be very joyous. You know, it's stressful, but finding when we get to compete, finding the moments where we can really just play, that was really special because you're getting the best athletes in Canada. There was like a, one tryout I went to. There was 66 of us, I think, there. So we had some of the most fun gameplay I've ever played with, you know, girls that I've never even met before. So I think, yes, taking care of your own stuff, doing what's good for you when it comes to warm up. Like, does that warm up work for you? Do you need to be arriving 15 minutes early to do your own thing? That's where you see the professionalism of girls that have been here before and, you know, not just showing up to, to show up and do the, the 10 second warm up, a couple of squats and you're ready to go. Some of the other girls are, you know, a little bit more dialed in in that regard, but I think overall, no, there was definitely a sense of camaraderie. They're a very open bunch of, of wonderful women and, and smart women. So it was, it was nice to, to feel included. And I was obviously rather young, but I never felt too young with that group, which was very nice. And how did Marcello like to do it for FISU? Like when you were being selected to FISU, was that its own tryout or are you around the, the A squad and you're all in the same gym and you're kind of being identified for, for both or one or the other? Like, uh, how was that experience when your name did get called? Was there another coach there to evaluate or was Marcello also picking the FISU squad? Um, so the way it sort of worked was if you were a university athlete that had made the A team roster, which everyone had that was there at the time, then FISU, you were automatically going to go to FISU if you chose to. If you wanted to pay the small small fee, it was rather large actually, to go play for the, the university team, then it, you were already on the squad. Then they would fill in the numbers from there for you know the girls that wanted to do it and pay that fee. So people like, for example, it was Nikki Cornwall, Alina, Kelsey Beltman. We were all on that A squad, or I guess the, the larger, the Team Canada with Marcello for the summer. And then, and Courtney Baker, um, another setter. So we were on the squad already. And then we just sort of transferred over to FISU at the end of the summer. We had, what well, was like three weeks, two weeks training with our, our full team and everyone flew in, which was a blast. And then we went off to Taiwan and I actually ended up returning after Taiwan back to the A team to train with them for an additional month. So that was super fun. What was the sense around FISI? Like, what's it like at a multi-sport games doing an open ceremony? Like how, like, I think in Canada, sometimes we don't treat it like it's a big deal. Cause like you said, the national team, the way the program works, there's only so much more funding. So by the time we get trickled down to FISI, there's a user fee associated to it. So some athletes are like, Oh, FISI, you have to pay for it. But I, I feel like the other guests we've had on the show, as soon as you're on site, like it feels like a major deal, doesn't it? Oh my gosh. It felt like, I felt like a celebrity. It was amazing, Josh, truly. It was, it was sort of surreal, the entire experience. I, number one, Taiwan is fantastic, and they were wonderful hosts. Not a place I would ever probably go myself and choose to go, but I'm so grateful that we, I had that opportunity through volleyball. Um, but yes, it was – it felt to me – it was my Olympics. It was the, at the time when I was 20 years old and an, an entire stadium of people – were there to cheer me on and feed, and actually Taiwanese people were huge supporters of the Canadian team in all sports. That was really exciting. So when we came out, they went nuts and it was surreal. And to have an opening ceremonies, I was so grateful um, to even be a part of it. And actually my, my parents flew out to Taiwan, which was, you know, they're my parents. So amazing. I love that, which was a bit, a bit beyond what I had expected of them, but they were so excited and they were thrilled. And my parents, I got to share this moment with 
my two biggest supporters. So that was, that was really incredible for me. And then when you get the call to go back with the A team, was there any sense of starstruck or did you feel like you really belonged to that level and you were there to help everybody get better? Cause I, I don't know. I just somebody going through the sports levels, like it feels like whenever you go up a level there, there's a little bit of hesitation kind of looking around about the new people, right? Like the, the speed of the game picks up, the skill picks up. So were you comfortable right away or was there a, a couple practices it took to really like feel like you belonged in that environment? couple practices I think I would be shocked if anyone felt very comfortable right away and good kudos to them good for them but no I definitely I had to warm up to it you know and I think the environment of team Canada was my probably one of my first like my largest experiences with player accountability I think um that when you get to that level you know um where you're playing with girls that are you know, have been playing on this national team for even like eight to 10 years, which is beyond, um, amazing for them, but it becomes less of a coaching accountability than a more, more of a player accountability. So like if we would run drills and, you know, I'm used to Christine going, well, this isn't good guys. We need to be better. You need to be playing better for yourself. And, but this time it was coming from the girls being like, we need to be better guys. We, I need you to do your task better so I can do mine better. And I was like, wow, I, I've never experienced players, you know, coming up to me saying, you need to be better for this team and take, not taking it personally, but it's just, how do we make this squad better? So that took some, some time to get used to for sure. I mean, being with the A team, there's a way higher expectation of your, of your performance and, and the standard practices need to be at. So I think that was my first experience with the players wanting the environment to be stronger and not it coming from a coach screaming and yelling, but the players saying we need this quality to be better. So that was really a big learning opportunity for me too. And now I've transferred that into my own style of play as I became a senior at U of T and so much transferable learning there, I think for sure. Yeah. That's so cool to hear that the women have that in their culture as well. Cause I was blown away when TJ told a story and Brett Walsh told one as well, where in the men's gym right now, they don't talk about attitude and effort. They talk about if you said you were blocking line and the one defender gets blown up behind you, well, then that's a huge problem because you missed an assignment. Like that's the level mm-hmm. of intensity they bring where I think it coming through the club system or even college university, like, I don't know, I, w- I would fantasize about the national team and just think like it's all about the effort they bring. But no, it's it's the intensity they apply to the details that I think really separates a lot of those athletes. And it, is it fair to say that was your experience as well? Oh, absolutely. I mean, performing your task was your ultimate goal. And when you don't perform your task, you're a, you're a cog in the machine. And if you are out of place, the entire machine breaks down. And that's where I really learned it because, you know, I could get away at the club level, you know, making a couple mistakes here and there, you know, passing my free balls off the net, I could get away with because, you know, the setter would fix it, whatever. But when it got to the, and even the university level, you know, I was, I took some contacts for granted for sure. Um, but then at the national level, that was very clear that that was not an acceptable behavior. And I improved my game quickly because I was held to a higher standard uh, because I was, I was set to do a task. And if I wasn't completing the task, others couldn't do their task or at least at the level we needed it to, to be done at. So it was really eye opening for me and it was a, it was a great environment and they created that environment and they made, it was very, it was an intentional environment that they had created of accountability, but trust. And like what you were saying about the men's side, like, if you say you're blocking line and you don't, and I get hurt down the line, I, that's a trust issue. 
if I get blown up as a lib down the line and I was supposed to get tips, you know, we're breaking our system down. And that's, I took that back to U of T. It's all about your system and, and how you execute that. And how can we function as a squad better by every single person taking care of their task and not so much on the big picture. So I think that I had a lot of transferable stuff learned at the national thing that I could bring back to U of T as well to create as a senior to create our environment at U of T. Awesome. Awesome. I wish we had more time to dive into this. You're going to have to be a returning guest here, but uh, to keep it moving. And some of the listeners will probably think this is a loaded question, but I actually don't know the answer. So you're having success at U of T, you're having success with the national team. And then it, by my best guess, just looking at like OVA results and seeing you at the beach, like you you get set up with Emily T. Hand, you guys play at nationals, then you come to beach national team tryouts and all of a sudden you're a beach national team athlete. So what, what flipped the switch with you as far as you were going to like commit to this beach thing and try to make a run at, at the other discipline in our sport? Mm, yeah. I mean, I think, uh, I, I always loved beach. I've been playing it since I was a kid and Christine with the UT program. Um, we ran beach sessions every summer. So when I was here and not with the indoor team, I was playing beach and I just absolutely loved it. And it felt like it was a great fit again for my style of play. I could hit, I could pass, I could do every skill that I loved doing. And in 20, 19 I went back to tryouts with uh with the indoor team in May after finishing my fifth year and we had a coaching switch so it was Tom Blacks from the from the USA coming in and coaching and I wasn't a fit I wasn't a fit on the squad and that was totally fine and I I came to terms with the fact that it wasn't going to be my summer to, to play with them and I wished them all the best and then I took a moment to take distance from distance from the sport. I needed a break. I had played five years at U of T. I needed to reconnect with it and find the love of it again. So I took a summer sort of, I don't know, not a summer. I'll say like two months off. Cause I can't take a whole summer off. Took a, <laughs> a couple of months off, traveled with my mom and reconnected with some of my friends and, and started playing beach um, with Christine at U of T and Adriana was our coach at the time. Cause um, she was worked closely with U of T's beach program and I was like, oh no, like I, I love this. This is, this is for me. Um, and I found Emily who had, cause it was late in the season. So she also didn't have a partner. She was awesome. And we, we literally were just playing for, for <laughs> sort of like shits and giggles. Um, uh, but then we actually got pretty decent. We were working with John child a little bit here and there. Um, and we had a blast at nationals. Like we got like ninth at nationals for, you know, not, not doing too much. And I was like, no, like I think I could actually make a run at this. So I tried out for the beach team again, again with the heavy hitters and showing to a tryout where I felt kind of uncomfortable. You see the McNamara twins, you get Julian Shanice and people that I was, I haven't even played, let alone like thought about competing against in a tryout style. So that was kind of nerve wracking. And my partner, Anna Licht ended up making the squad. So I I knew I was going to have a training environment, which was great. I didn't make the squad until later into the COVID year where I got uh, an extended card, which is awesome. So now I'm here and I'm living the dream here in Toronto. I started a master's in September, so I'm able to still train and hopefully, you know, COVID allows us to train outside and, and play the game that we all love. But I've been having a blast here in Toronto, just training daily. And thank goodness I've got an opportunity to play because I think you and I both, Josh, would go a little stir crazy if we didn't have what we're doing right now. So I'm very grateful for the opportunity that Wildwood Canada has given me to play. Yeah. COVID's been painful on a lot of levels, but I think for me, the worst is being stuck at home with like no practice or no urgency to get better. So I'm, I'm so happy that, uh, 
you know, national teams get a high performance exemption and we're, we're allowed to still be a part of it because yeah, if, if somebody took away sport for me in my 18 year year, I think I'd be losing my mind. So I really feel for the, the oh, like young that. athletes right now, or even people in college and university, I don't know how they could just kill the day without some That's sort of sport. Heartbreaking. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's absolutely heartbreaking. Everybody lost something, but you know, those kids that were finishing their senior years or the fifth years of university, my heart goes out to them. That was devastating to be, you know, shut down at nationals. So Everyone, uh, I'm very grateful that I have an opportunity to continue playing through through a pandemic and and whatever comes, I'm ready for. So, yeah, definitely. Well, we've we've kept you this long. Uh, the tradition on the show is that uh, obviously we've we've heard about your career and learned that you've played at the highest levels and and you're still going, but. Volleyball people are awesome, amazing people, and something odd or funny just happens along the way somehow, some way. So we're hoping you could just tell us a funny story before we let you go. Sure. Um, I have so many embarrassing moments in my life, but um, <laughs> I will uh, I'll tell you that in my, um, my first international point at the World Championships, I got subbed in to play against China. We were down by a lot, and I got subbed in as the second libero which I was, you know, thrilled about, but, you know, unprepared for, let's say. And I got in and I don't know if you know who Zhu Ting is, but at the time it still kind of is best player in the world, decorated athlete. Um, I got in and I, I got chested for the first point in the face for the second point and then aced off the court for the third point and subbed out. So it was pretty, uh, pretty sweet debut for me. Um, <laughs> she then said, sorry, through the net as we, as we shook hands, which was sort of awesome, but sort of so, so embarrassing. And my teammates kind of heard it, some of it, and they were like, don't worry about it. (laughs) And my parents were watching at home and they called, they're like, well, it was a start, (laughs) hon. And I, I don't even think I contacted the ball with my platform. Like I, as a libero going in, I got it off the chest, off the throat. And then on the ground. So it was a really, it was a great start to a, a lifelong career, I think. But, uh, it's a, it's a great story for me because it feels like, you know, humble beginnings, if you will. Yeah. That's a good, uh, welcome to the show moment. Like I definitely feel for you. Right, it was a very much, it was a very much like, ah, she's a rookie, but, <laughs> but I had, but you know what, Josh, I had my friggin' name on my Jersey. I went to world championships. I competed really hard in the practices leading up to it. I wasn't a starter and you know what? I cheered my guts out and I was there for the team and I played my role and then I got my shot and you know what? It didn't go the way I wanted, but we move on and I, uh, I pursued other passions and I'm now on the, I'm on the beach and I'm, I'm ready to make a better international debut if you will. <laughs> well, there you go. And like you said, that's, that's a special opportunity that not a lot of us will get. Right. So even though it didn't go mm-hmm. the storybook ending, I mean, you still got to represent Canada at a world championships, which is exactly that, that's special no matter what happens. Exactly. I got to sing the anthem with my teammates, with my flag on my chest. And I don't take that for granted for any second. So you know what? It was a win. It was a winning situation for me. It was just a tough one. You know, my parents couldn't show much gameplay from Anna's first international event <laughs> to their friends. So that's all right, though. I had Fisu. I had I played Guam this season for Beach. So I've had more international moments that I'm more proud of. That's for sure. 
Oh, amazing. Well, thank you so, so much for, for joining us today. I mean, it was great to hear about your career. Like I said, like, I feel like we've had a lot of good talks and I'm still walking away learning something. So hopefully our listeners got a lot out of this one. So thanks for joining us. And yeah, we kind of went tip of the iceberg there. So you have to come back and expand on a lot of these stories and, and update us again, because I feel like, you know, the FIV's rolling again. Hopefully we get some competitions in soon and hopefully we're back to uh, a, a normal, I guess, if that's still a word we're allowed to use, a, a normal competition season for everybody <laughs> soon. Yeah, something's coming our way, Josh. I feel it. So, yeah, I'd love to come back. I love talk, chatting with you about all things volleyball. So, uh, you just let me know, and I hope, uh, hopefully, we can get back to whatever normal looks like. We'll see.